Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Corey Snyder. Corey, what's going on, man? Not too much. Just uh, working on a few things right now. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know what? Uh, let, let's be honest with our listeners. This is our uh, our second take of this intro. I realized I kind of messed up something at, at the start. So we had this little back and forth about how you were uh, playing around with spreadsheets and how that's a common common thing for you. So we don't have to rehash it ourselves. We can just we can just let the listeners know it was probably the best cold open I've ever had, and they missed out. But at least you and I were part of it. Yeah, we'll always, I guess we'll always have that to look on, but it is true. Like I am, I am just playing around with spreadsheets. That's (laughs) what I'm doing. Like probably most of the time. Yep. Um, so the good thing about having you back on for people that either just started listening to their show recently or, or have short memories, I guess, and don't remember you were on, um, sometime towards the start of, of, of last season. And, and we had a little discussion about, uh, the, the, the zone tracking project you'd done the, the year before. And we couldn't really talk too much about the specifics of, you know, which players were good and which players weren't, or we couldn't really talk about present day stuff just because you were at the time employed by an NHL team and we didn't really want to get you in trouble with your, with your club. So now we can finally kind of just like have a, an open-ended discussion without tippy-toeing around delicate subjects. Yeah, nice to talk about stuff that's a little more recent than from uh, two years ago. Well, I mean, we shouldn't say too recent because we are about to talk about the uh, the 2016 playoffs, and it feels like I mean it was it was like three months ago, but it feels like it's probably been even longer since then. So uh, I don't know how necessarily how if recent is the best word for it, but it probably is the sort of the the last images of of hockey that we have. Yeah, aside from the preseason, which uh, I am doing some stuff on right now, but I guess we'll get to that a little later. I feel like you're probably the only person in the world doing some stuff on the on the preseason. Yeah, I'm just doing it to test out some new things. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing for next year hmm. to kind of just get used to it. Well, well, we'll get into that in a bit, but let's let's let's, let's discuss the uh, the 2016 postseason, and I, I think that a good place to start is a discussion of why we're doing this you and i because uh we both watched every game of the 2016 postseason and and tracked it meticulously and and wrote at at depth about it and you know it's it's very time consuming it's very meticulous work but it i i would like to i don't want to speak for you but 
myself, I, I think it's pretty useful in terms of providing added context and information that we can we can build upon to expand our knowledge of the game. Yeah, like the the big thing I wanted to do with the Solva postseason tracking project was basically go into every series and find out basically everything that went into the t- a team winning or losing it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted just to like hit every single like nook and cranny of what happened in every series. And uh, I didn't get, I didn't get to the Stanley Cup final yet, but everything I did do, I feel like I've hit that. I hit that pretty well. Mm-hmm. And as I went deeper into the playoffs, like there was more stuff I just wanted to add to it. Like the first few the first few uh, posts on the playoffs were kind of just data dumps because I had tracked those a lot earlier and uh, I just kind of wanted to get something out. But as I went more into it, I started like adding a lot more, like adding a lot more like. Uh, screenshots and like breakdowns and stuff like that right so it just got it kind of took on a life of its own after like the third post i did or something well i can't even like i can't stress how time consuming a process it really is because i mean for myself like i'm clearly not as experienced doing it as you are you've tracked many more games than i have but i've kind of gotten the hang of it and, and learned some of the tricks of the trade but even for myself like you know, there's there's times where I have to backtrack and double check, and then obviously NHL TV bugs out and doesn't do us any favors and throws us for a loop. And and I'm I was only tracking uh you know zone exits and defending zone entries against for defensemen, kind of focusing on that aspect of the game. Whereas as you were mentioning now, you you were basically kind of noting down every single thing that was happening. So I can't even imagine how much time each game took you. Yeah, it definitely took a lot longer than uh, than just the uh, games I was doing for the All Three Zones project, where I was only doing entries and exits. Mm-hmm. Like this time, I was adding a lot more context, like who was defending the entry, who was supporting it, like uh, who the passes were going to on zone exits, and which direction the pass was going in. Basically, basically almost everything. Yeah, like uh, that was the whole thing with the All Three Zones project. Because I, that that alone just took so much time to do, like every single game, and at the end of it, like it, there was a lot of useful data that came from it, from just zone entries and zone exits. But there was a lot of stuff I didn't track, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking, "Oh man, I should have done this. I should have added that too. Like adding this would have helped." And like I kind of realized all this like maybe half halfway in, <laughs> so I couldn't just go. I couldn't just like add it in there because it was going to screw up like a whole, the whole continuity of it, yep. and it wouldn't be consistent. So I wanted to hit all that this time around, and it was easier to like start over or, or add something new if I wanted to because it's because it, it's just a series. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't do it one series, I'll just add to the next one. Right, and uh, it's a, it was a good way for me to kind of just. Uh, kind of test myself a little and uh just uh test out to see what uh if some new, if some new metrics basically. would work yeah if some new metrics like could come out from all this or if i can find anything that was interesting well i mean just like with anything there is a, a trial by error component to it because i mean there there's an interesting discussion to be had about sort of the relevance of all these microstats and sort of uh gleaning the difference between predictive and descriptive value and and what things we should be focusing on whereas i mean just like with anything having more information is good but it doesn't necessarily it can kind of confound stuff and and, and cloud the picture and make it even worse than we started off with and there's obviously certain things we should kind of throw out and then and then you kind of have to weigh all of it like the way i look at it is and and often describe it is it's all just one big puzzle and we're trying to find the correct pieces to put it together right right yeah that's that's one thing i always like try to remember like i always just try to remember like especially when i'm testing out like a new stat or tracking some new data 
I'm like, I have to, I have to make sure I or someone else tests this to make sure it's to make sure that, uh, it's repeatable and actually like, it actually correlates with something that relates to, uh, relates to creating or defending shots or creating or defending goals, because that's in the end, that's what matters in hockey. Yes. So if something looks interesting and some, if something like looks interesting and, uh, uh, and I feel like it's worth tracking and leads to some like interesting data, but it doesn't like correlate to anything or mm. just, or it's just random throughout a game to game basis, then you can probably just throw it out. Yep. So well, that's, I, I think it's also, you know, there, there is a difference there in the sense that it's not everything needs to necessarily, you know, be like predicting and telling us what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes it is okay to have just sort of interesting nuggets that you can kind of keep in your back pocket for future use or just kind of consider them without actually, you know, viewing it as the be all end all for everything. Oh, right. For sure. Like, uh, especially with zone exits, because, uh, that was one thing I didn't get a chance to uh, test with all three zones, but I believe some other people did and they mm-hmm. found some correlation between, between how between the number of zone exits a player has and how many shots he creates, which intuitively makes sense, right. but it's something that I always track and I always like keep note of. It's something I always track. I always note down, but I always like put it at the end. That's uh, I always like make sure that I note that uh, that it's something that I'm still like working on mm-hmm. right now, which is totally fine. Uh, yeah, and and. You know, the reason why this is important is because, for example, I've been railing on ASP, SAP a lot about how, you know, they they brought out all these new features for the World Cup of Hockey about how they were tracking. And, and you know, they, they provide these kind of stats, like oh, acceleration speed for a player or something like that. And while it might sound interesting for someone sitting at home, ultimately, like without any context or knowing what it actually means, it's just kind of a, a random filler. It's basically empty calories at that point. Yeah, definitely. That's why I mainly stick to like to zone entries and uh, shot generation stats when I'm when I'm doing my breakdowns because those are because those have been tested before and those have been like noted as stats that are repeatable and they're very and they're very important when it comes to like coaching and tactics too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've and uh, I've been uh, following posts by Ryan Stimson yes. basically all summer when he's like he's been doing the passing project. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started tracking passes from the uh, playoffs using uh, not exactly not his exact methods, but like as close as I can I could based on like the uh, stuff that he's released online. Mm-hmm. And eventually, af- eventually, I think starting with the conference finals, I started u- tracking using his methods. So we're going to be joining up next year. Nice. Uh, we're going to be joining up next year. I'm going to be tracking using his methods and. Uh, his trackers are going to be keep, are going to keep working on last year, so we'll have two full years of data on passing. That's if awesome. August, as all goes to plan. But uh, anyway, he was post he was posting a lot of like really interesting uh, a lot of interesting articles about how the passing stats can relate to coaching tactics, and uh, I was I was keeping an eye on those all summer and seeing how I can relate those to uh, my playoff articles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found, like, I definitely found a few interesting things with those. Well, yeah, I, I think that's the the funnest part of all this when you can actually, rather than just having a bunch of numbers or stuff like that, where you can spin it forward in a practical sense by looking at systems and looking at, you know, what it can tell us about how coaches operate and how sort of they utilize their personnel and whether they're optimizing that talent they have. And and I think that I'm glad you brought up Ryan's work because it, it really has been fascinating to follow along. And and I know that yourself, you you mentioned you 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 started the the primary shot contribution percentage, which is basically the shots 
and then the passes that led to those shots. And and I think that obviously it's it's great that it's a repeatable skill, but the other thing that really fascinates me is that we what's been shown that generating shots off of passing plays is actually more tightly linked to future goals than just looking at raw shot totals. Oh yeah, definitely. That was the that's the thing that that's the thing I like kind of wish people would harp on when it comes to shot quality. Mm-hmm. Because shots off passing plays are obviously obviously are going to be tougher to stop for a goaltender than just like a, a scoring chance that might be from like, I don't know, 10 feet away that the goaltender is square already squared on and he's probably going to stop. Like uh, and when you it comes want, to location like stuff. You want to get the goalie moving a lot, right? And that's what pa- passing yeah. plays basically tell us is happening. Yeah, exactly. So I was I, I definitely wanted to look at those a lot more. And once I started it, once uh once Ryan sent me his uh, spreadsheets to track the uh, stand to track the uh, conference finals, mm-hmm. like it became a lot easier to look at passing plays because I was tracking passes by location zones. Like I split up the I split up the rank into like a bunch of different numbered areas. He actually just labeled them down and noted the type of pass that it is, which make th- which makes things a lot easier. Uh, when it comes to analyzing the data, mm-hmm. because um, all the different passes are all tracked for you instead of you having to try to figure it out yourself where all the passes go. Yep. Like, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, like uh, in particular, he was uh, what he tracks in uh, what he was tracking uh, in particular was passes that went back to the point and passes that went from behind the net. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a post on this, like passes that went back to the point. Well, that led to a shot that went back to the point or have a much lower percentage than a shot that went that come comes off a pass from behind the net. Right. And I was looking at that a lot in the Eastern Conference final and the Penguins were just abusing like passes that were from I mean, a passing plays are behind the net. Mm-hmm. Like they were just generating those at a, an incredibly high rate compared to uh, Tampa Bay. Well, yeah, that's I mean, I like to call that uh, Henrik Sedin's office. Yeah, definitely for sure. Crosby's office in this yes. case. Yes. Um, all right, Corey, let's, uh, let's take a little quick break here to, uh, to hear from our sponsors. And when, when we come back, we'll, uh, get into, I, I've made a speed round of topics that I kind of want us to sink our teeth in, into. All right, cool. This episode of the PDO cast is brought to you by FreshBooks, an online accounting service designed to save time and help avoid all the stresses that come with running a small business. With the new version of the interface they're now offering, accomplishing that is easier and quicker than ever before. It's ridiculously easy to use, and it's loaded with a number of immensely useful features. Whether it's customizing professional-looking invoices that only take a few seconds to create from scratch, or saying goodbye to shoeboxes full of receipts thanks to their expense tracker option, FreshBooks is a godsend for freelancers and entrepreneurs like myself. They're currently offering a free 30-day trial to listeners of our show at freshbooks.com slash pdocast. Just remember to enter Hockey PDOcast in the How You Heard About Us section, and you can get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash PDOcast. All right, we're back. Um, let's get this one out of, way, out of the way, because I know it's not necessarily uh, the most interesting uh, topic point, but it is something that you, know, you and I probably spent an ungodly amount of time and energy texting about during the postseason, and it's how bad Matt Carl was, because I feel like, you know, people know that a guy like Roman Polak, for example, doesn't actually have any real hockey skills and is going to struggle whenever the puck's on his stick and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, Matt Carl actually used to be a pretty decent player. And I feel like just because he can kind of skate around, people don't necessarily view him in that light. But he was genuinely atrocious in this past postseason. 
he was atrocious and he got thrown into the wolves because he was on a pairing with Victor Hedman yes. in the uh, first couple of rounds, I believe. And I don't think he did a single thing like right in yes. the entire postseason. <laughs> like forwards were just getting past him really quick, really easily. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't exit the zone well. And he wasn't doing much when it comes to when it came to like contributing offense, which which for like a player like that who might be terrible at defending his own blue line, sometimes he, they might be able to make up for it by, I don't know, creating a lot on the offensive end. He did absolutely nothing in any regard in any of those. Mm-hmm. And Cooper mercifully finally put in Slater Cuckoo in the uh, conference final. And the Lightning were doing a lot more when he was on the ice. Yeah. And I mean, I mean the, thing, the, thing, the thing with Matt Carl is obviously, you know, he- heading into this season, it's a lot easier to, to swallow all that when it's a, a one-year $700K deal. And, and uh, he's on the Predators, which I had forgotten until I, I searched it up. And, and he's probably going to be, what, like their sixth, seventh, or maybe eighth defenseman up. So it's not one of those things where it's going to be a massive problem. But it was, was very bizarre to me because I think we'd both agree that, that that Cooper is one of the better coaches in the league, if not right up there with the best ones. And his usage of defensemen in the postseason was kind of alarming to me because there was the one obviously he was you know utilizing the seven guys which is very frustrating to you and I who track all these games but from a more practical perspective he it took him a while to warm up the Slater Cuckoo and he never really wound up giving Nikita Nesterov the shot that I thought he should have whereas he kept playing a guy like Andre Schuster who really struggled in my eyes so I don't know was that something to you when you watched all these games that you were kind of curious about or raised your eyebrow looking looking at? Yeah, part of me felt like he had his hands tied because Strahlman was out, mm-hmm. and when he came back, he clearly wasn't himself. He couldn't he couldn't make the plays he could at the blue line, and he couldn't defend as well as he could. He just couldn't skate like uh, he couldn't skate laterally or mm-hmm. move as well as he usually does. But at the same time, it's like I don't know. He kept feeding out Matt Carl to the Wolves, and he got away with it for the first two rounds because he was going up against uh, he was going up against the Red Wings who weren't weren't really that good of a team but they played a lot better in that first round than the results uh showed mm-hmm. and then and then the islanders which they got by in five games right but like i felt like he kind of had his hands tied because like his other options were his other options especially on the right side were like andre schuster yep and uh and nikita nesterov and he, nesterov got benched for luke witkowski a couple of times who's basically an ahl player which I don't and, think was ju- justified in my mind. I don't know. Did you think that that's something you would have done if you were running the Lightning defense? Uh, it's like Nesterov frustrates me in particular because, like, I feel like he does a lot of things well. He can skate with the puck well. He's a, I've like I I tend to value defensemen who can rush the puck up the ice because mm-hmm. there's only there's only like a handful of guy. Well, maybe not a handful, but there's not that many players in the league defensemen in the league who can do that effectively. And I thought that's one area that that Nesterov did well, and something the Lightning really needed. But uh, he's he is kind of a mess in the defensive in the defensive zone. Right, like he does make some really bad turnovers, and uh, he is I guess he is pretty frustrating to watch, especially for the coach. So maybe I can understand the coach going to like a more reliable, quote unquote, reliable, better option. But at the same time, Carl was just ten times worse than Nesterov. Right, and I mean, at least you mentioned you know for all the bad things in his game, at least he does one thing well. And, and it was, I can't I can't say that about Carl. And it was something that the Lightning really needed because that was one thing that I thought the uh, Slater Cuckoo like especially added to that team. 
uh, when he started to get more minutes in the postseason because they needed someone other than Hedman to rush the puck up the ice and generate plays uh, in the defensive end, well, from the defensive end and in the neutral zone. And and they were just starving for like some, for like more puck movers back there because I think their second best puck mover was like, was Garrison mm-hmm. in like if you go through the whole go through the whole playoffs, which is obviously a problem because Garrison isn't isn't that well of, isn't that good of a skater, yeah, especially compared to how he used to be, right? And uh, and yeah, like and that's something that you figure Carl would be good at, but he just struggled in every single regard in the postseason. Yeah, it was it was, it was bizarre. It was, it was weird watching him play. Um, you get. You, Let's 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 move on because I feel like we spent enough time talking about Matt Carl here. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know someone we should discuss is is Chris Russell, and the reason why I bring that up is because there's less than ten days now to the season, and he still doesn't have a contract. And it's kind shocking. Of, it's kind of well, it's kind of tough to say. I mean, at the same time, you know, it's tough to say whether he just sort of priced himself out of something earlier in the summer because he was had these unrealistic expectations of what he was worth and what he should get. Because I mean. I don't think Chris Russell is very good, but at the same time, there's a significant, there's a, a large number of defensemen that are probably worse than him that are under contract right now, right? Like, I feel like he's still an NHL defenseman if utilized properly, but obviously, kind of things just went way overboard last year with the narrative around him. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nick Grossman got a PTO, so you figure if he can yes. find a job, then Russell might be able to find somewhere too. So I guess it is kind of surprising in that regard. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I've, like Russell, I kind of feel like, He's a little like Nesterov, where I feel like there's one thing he does well. Mm-hmm. Like I think he does, he is okay when it comes to like skating with the puck, and maybe maybe at like generating, at, uh, making plays out of his own zone. But like the bad outweighs the good with him because teams just bleed shots when he's on the ice and goals. So there's definitely a lot of problems there. But I figure, I mean, I thought I thought some team would give him a shot. Maybe not for like five million or however much he wanted or was reporting. Right. It was being reported out there. But he, I thought he would at least get like a one year show me deal or a PTO or something. Well, it's really weird that Chris Russell is the person that sort of brought the the idea of zone exits into the mainstream discussion because uh, obviously people were kind of confused as to why Jim Nill, who's generally thought of as a good GM and has won pretty much every trade he's ever done up until that point, paid so much for Russell. And it was cited as his ability to transition the puck out of his own zone was one of his main skills. And I was a little perplexed at that at the time, because having watched a bunch of him in Calgary, especially under Bob Hartley, he'd really struggled with uh, that system that Hartley was playing, especially at the start of last year, where he was just trying to hit the home run on, on every single play out of the zone in terms of the long outlet pass. And and in the playoffs, I, I didn't, you know, he's a good skater, but I didn't really see any of that ability with the puck that was talked about which was which was bizarre to me he was like by my count one of the worst defensemen in ter- and especially in terms of on the amongst the stars defensemen he really struggled at pretty much every facet of the game yeah he was he definitely didn't have a good postseason and he had a pretty terrible regular season too mm-hmm. and i don't know like i feel russell when it comes to like zone exits i feel like he can like get the puck out of the zone but not transition it into anything like worthwhile right like Team, like it either goes for like an icing or like the pass misses and your and uh, makes the other team come back the other way, or it just the play just dies in the neutral zone after he gets the puck there. So 
he might be generating zone exits, but it might not be doing anything productive with it. And in the in the postseason, especially, I feel like that was the case. Kind of, he didn't play a whole lot of minutes either because I thought I think Ruff did a okay job at kind of sheltering him, like making sure that he wasn't out there against anyone good, and he was stuck on the third pairing with. Uh, I'm not exactly sure because Dallas did change up their defense pairings a lot in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but he no, he played he with was the Bears quite a bit, didn't he? I, I I think so, but I think so. But either way, Ruff was definitely keeping him like away from uh, other teams' best forwards, and he wasn't playing him a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. But like Russell, I kind of felt like in the playoffs he was just like there. Yes, like he like he he didn't really like stand out to me in like kind of a Roman Pollock way, where I'm like, oh my god, get this guy off the ice now. But he wasn't generating that many like the stars were not generating that many shots for them on the ice and. The shots he was on the ice for, he wasn't doing anything to kind of like directly contribute to them unless he was like missing the net or something on a shot. So I don't know. He I, He's I, kind of an interesting player to me in general, because like I remember when he was in Columbus, he was a small like he was a small kind of Marc-Andre Bergeron type defenseman mm-hmm. who got uber sheltered. He only started in the offensive zone. Or, like, he only took draws in the offensive zone, basically. Yep. And ever since he went to Calgary, he has this reputation of being this really big, like, well, not a big shot blocker, but a shot blocking defensive defenseman. And it's kind of like the the reputation around him just totally shift ever, shifted ever since Bob Hartley took over in Calgary. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you search Chris Russell on Getty Images, for example, and, like, the first... 10 pictures are going to be him just like flopping around like a fish out of water on the ice in that in that series against the blues and i don't know it, it is very frustrating for, my, for myself when i watch him just how frequently he sort of resorts to taking himself out of the play just to try and block a shot as opposed to you know staying on his feet and trying to do something with his stick like it it's yeah. i don't know if it's a mentality thing or what because he does have the physical tools as we mentioned he can skate and and it seems like he should be more useful than he is but just something there isn't adding up yeah, I remember uh, I was watching this one game after he got traded to the Stars, and he he immediately like blocked a shot that was that was really soft and from the blue line, mm-hmm. and like uh, Dallas's color guy Daryl Ray was like, he does know there's a goalie behind him, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he has the big pads on, let him block those, like let him block those because he probably can. Yep. But like Russell definitely is really eager to go down and block shots whenever he can. It's it's pretty it's pretty frustrating to watch in general. Mm-hmm. I think a good because, tra- a yeah. good transition is and and I, I don't want to equate these two guys because I think the guy we're about to talk about is is a much better player and a much more intriguing player moving forward. But uh, a similar player in that sense is Cam Fowler for me because there is a pretty clear mismatch between between kind of when you watch him and when you track these games and uh, especially like I noticed when they were playing uh, against Nashville he did a lot of things well like he moved the puck well and he was pretty aggressive in defending his own blue line and and he posted some pretty impressive numbers but then you look and in terms of the sort of prototypical underlying numbers in terms of the shot metrics he never really stacks up that well he's generally a negative uh coursey relative player and and i just wonder what the mismatch is there like why is there such a discrepancy between how good he should look and how good his numbers actually are i think another good guy maybe a more notable example is is a guy like john carlson right yeah definitely so maybe it's something that's uh yeah i'm not really sure because uh i didn't 
because I tracked that series a long time ago, but Fowler is someone that I always thought was really good when it comes to like getting the puck out of his own zone. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, uh, same thing with John Carlson. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I thought Carlson played really well in the playoffs, especially when it comes from like an offensive standpoint, because next to Ovechkin, he was like the Capitals best shot generator. Yes. But especially uh, in the power play. I mean, his shot is such a weapon from the point. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know with Fowler. Fowler is like a really Fowler is a really interesting player because his numbers have kind of nosedived in the past uh, in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Maybe he's playing a role that he's not ready for, that he's not suited for. Because I know he generally plays like I, he generally plays like top four minutes there. I don't know what kind of matchups he gets. But uh, yeah, that one I'm not really that one I'm not really too sure on. Yeah, because I don't know. Fowler never really stood out to me as kind of like a as like one of the best in the league at it, but he kind of, but I know like he definitely holds his own when it comes to, when it comes to zone exits. And, uh, he was, he definitely got lit up a bit in terms of shots in that Pred series though. Right. I do remember that. I'm not sure how, but he well was, he was playing like with Kevin Bieksa quite a bit. I feel like, yeah, he was. So maybe it could be that. I know Bieksa definitely, definitely is not one of the better players in the league when yes. it comes to moving the puck out of his own zone, especially, and especially I defend his blue line too. It's weird because, like, and ever since I started tracking this, like, the only way BX has stood out is from an offensive standpoint, mm. which is kind of alarming to me because he's not really, because he's pretty mediocre in that regard, too. I feel like that was a very nice way. He's definitely not one of the best in the league is, is a nice way of saying he's not very good. Yeah, I'm being a little <laughs> too diplomatic here, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, BX has fallen off a cliff recently. It, it, the reason why I bring up Fowler is interesting to me is because, obviously, uh, the Ducks resign uh sammy vatten to a long-term deal and and they have you know bx is under contract for a while and they're probably not going to be able to offload that contract and and simone dupre has an extension and, and hampus lindholm you figure will get signed at some point here in the near future and you wonder whether a guy like fowler who's available i think his contract is two more years at four 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 million per would be an interesting trade target for a team he's not necessarily going to be you know your number one or even your top pairing defenseman but if you could bring him in at that reasonable contract i feel like he could be a, a pretty big upgrade for a lot of teams around the league yeah definitely especially when you look at some of the defense groups around the league i mean someone like cam fowler could definitely fit in to like your second or third pair and not Mm -hmm. be a total disaster but yeah i'm not sure what i'm not sure what the ducks are going to do with kind of because they have kind of a log jam back there and when you couple it with like their internal budget or whatever that's been reported like i'm not sure what exactly they're going to do with like their defense going forward because i you figure they're going to resign lindholm Yep. And they still have to resign Raquel, too. And I'm not sure how they're going to fit like everyone under under their supposed uh, budget or their internal cap. Hmm. But uh, Vadnin is someone... I, I pers- Personally, I think Vadnin is better than Fowler, like basically mo- in most aspects. Because yep. when I was doing my project, Fowler... I mean, uh, Vadnin was one of the best in the league. Well, one of the best defensemen in the league at generating zone entries with mm-hmm. control. Yep. And car- and rushing the puck up, up the ice and carrying the puck in, and that was when he was only a rookie. And I feel like he's he's only gotten better since then. And I think that's I think that's uh, someone who they should probably value maybe more than Cam Fowler. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like Fowler's definitely kind of he's kind of drifted into like uh, I guess average territory for me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like someone I feel like he'd be a fit somewhere in some teams' yes. blue line well, because I mean, he's not he's definitely not like he's not a bad player at all. And yeah. 
I mean, it's all relative, yeah. right? Like the Ducks are, are so loaded in the blue line that it's it's easy to look at him as an afterthought. But as you mentioned, there are quite a few blue lines around this league. Like, let's take someone like the Rangers, for example. Like Cam Fowler oh. would instantly be like, what? I think their second best defenseman. So <laughs> I feel probably. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I I remember I I, I asked uh, on Twitter who the worst uh, defense corp in the corps in the league is, and a lot of people said Ranger said the Rangers. I, I, most of them are Ranger fans. I'm like, uh, they're probably just overreacting. And I was making dev charts for the upcoming year, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. when I Nick looked at the Holden? Rangers, what? <laughs> yeah, that that right side is just a total disaster because yeah. they're probably gonna. I mean, it's just a mess right now out there because I think like Kevin Klein is their second best defenseman, mm-hmm. and he's going to be playing top pair minutes because they don't they they do they don't have anyone else unless Brady Shea steps in there and yeah. and has a surprise season. Well, I mean, and you mentioned how much you love or how partial you are to guys that kind of can transition the puck out by skating it out, and I feel like you're going to love watching Brady Shea if, if that's the case. Yeah, he was good at that in the. Penguin series, but that was only five games, so I don't know how much yeah. talk to put in it. But he definitely has, uh, he has some skills. Well, that, no, which is surprising yeah, because yeah. You, you look at him and he looks kind of like this like big lumbering guy, and you expect you could expect him to play that way. But he gets the puck on his stick, and all of a sudden he's just flying around, around there like a chicken with its head cut off, which is which is pretty cool to watch. Yeah, he does that. Like in this whole preseason thing I'm doing, I'm noticing a lot of defensemen <laughs> that do that, and a lot of them pr- are probably going to end up in the AHL because their coaches probably hate them. Yeah. Yeah, too risky. Um, all right, we, we we talked a lot here about zone exits. I think on on the other side of things, though, we can have a fascinating discussion about uh, defending zone entries against, which is something we've also looked at. And and I want to start it off with a sort of philosophical discussion about it because I don't know if there's necessarily one right way to play or not. Like, obviously, you don't want to do the Chris Russell, Matt Carl, Matador defense where you're so afraid of getting beaten out wide that you're just you know, giving the guy free, free access into the zone. But I think that there is, you know, you can go too far the other way where we've had discussions about a guy like Radko Gudas, where he goes so above and beyond trying to defend the blue line and, and throw vicious body checks on whoever's approaching that he basically takes himself out of position. And all of a sudden the team's just playing like five on four on the other end. Yeah, definitely. But like, I feel like defending your own blue line is definitely critical mm. when it comes, when it comes to like a, a defenseman skills. Because uh, look, we already know we already know that zone entries are important, and team and entries that are done by carrying lead to more shots than opposed to dumping the puck in. And defensemen who can and defensemen who can effectively defend their own blue line definitely have a lot of value mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that. But yeah, definitely you can go overboard when you try to do it too much. Like one player that I remember this from the project is Eric Jelena from the mm-hmm. Devils. Yep. And uh, if you, like the Devils in general that year were pretty good at defending their own blue line just because of their system. It was so hard to get up the ice against them. But Jelena always went for like a big hip check at the blue line. And uh, sometimes like sometimes it worked and sometimes you would just miss completely and uh, there would be a 2-1-1. <laughs> but yeah, but, yeah it, it definitely... It definitely depends, like how like how well you play the blue line. I think one of the best players, like that's been doing at this in the past like few years, is Paul Martin, mm-hmm. and he's kind. When it comes to this, because he's really good with his at making uh, plays with his stick, he's really good at uh, having a good gap on other forwards, not giving him much room to work with up the ice. And like seeing on the Sharks, uh, Justin Braun was another guy who was really good at that. Because uh, in my last post on the playoffs, it was on the Blues Sharks series. 
and the Blues just got suffocated in the neutral zone in the first two or three uh, in the first three games. And their defensemen like were playing really aggressive. Like the second the Blues got the puck and were trying to go up the ice, the Sharks were basically at the red line. Mm-hmm. Like the Sharks defensemen were at the basically at the red line, not giving them any quarter. And Justin Braun was one guy in particular who just completely shut down the Blues and didn't give him anything to work with. Well, I wonder if that's something the, the Sharks management team is actively sort of seeking, because you mentioned Paul Martin and Justin Braun, and I was actually going to say that I think the best guy in the league at this is might be Mark Edward Vlasic in terms of just how good he is at... He's aggressive, but he kind of knows his physical limitations or, or what he's capable of, so he doesn't you know overreact, and he was really good with his stick. And I remember watching that series and just thinking that... You know, there were a couple times where whether it be a, a guy like Tarasenko or whoever, and he would just like he would just nip that entire rush on the bud just by himself, just by kind of jumping in and surprising the guy where he was it wasn't expecting him to do that. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, the funny thing was the the numbers from that series. Vlasic actually gave up a lot of carry ins, but he was barely targeted. Mm, like yeah. the, the, the Blues kind of just avoided going to that side of the ice altogether, and they kept targeting Braun. And they had even less success going against him because uh, Braun is because Braun's also really good when it comes to this. And uh, yeah, that was another thing. I'm that's another thing. Like I'm going to be uh, incorporating from Ryan's. Uh, from Ryan's project, mm-hmm. because one of his one of his posts, I believe this was a month ago, he was looking at entry. He was looking at uh, entries that uh, also had a pass that that also had a pass or a pass that led to a shot. Like after like there are like with carry-ins, like uh, I guess some I get a lot of people like think they're kind of overvalued now because there's a lot there's a I don't know if there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. but every. Every now and then, you'll see a, a player just carry the puck in and take a shot, and the play's over. Yep. And uh, like one way he and something he was looking at to get around this was looking at entries where there was a, a pass that led to a shot, and those obviously led to higher quality opportunities. Well, no, I, w- I shouldn't say higher quality opportunities, but they led to shots with a higher shooting percentage, which, which makes sense because there's passing play because it's a, it's off a passing play, and those are hard for a goaltender, harder for a goaltender. To, and, goaltender to read and stop yeah i mean you do so, see, you do see that a lot where a guy might enter the zone with possession but then he instantly just re- relinquishes about kind of firing the puck away i i do think that you know we should value the ones more where a guy comes in and then maybe he stops or maybe he passes it off to someone else and then all of a sudden they're maintaining possession in the offensive zone i feel like that's much more valuable than than the alternative right and on a defensive side of the like going back to like plastic on a defensive side of this like like I was interested in seeing how many of those entries that Vlasic allowed that actually led to like shots or anything because the Blues were only generating like maybe like point point two eight shots per entry against Vlasic even though they carried the puck in a lot against him. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was al- so maybe he was allowing carry ins but breaking them up right after or but breaking them up along the boards or forcing them to the outside or something like that. So uh, starting well. I, I shouldn't say starting next year because it's starting right now with the preseason. Right. But uh, I'm going to be looking at that. Like I'm going to be looking at entries that also had a pass and see how see which forwards are the best at doing this and which defensemen are the best at preventing this because I think there's definitely a lot of value there mm-hmm. when it comes to this, especially with especially with the San Jose defensemen because they just did not give up anything yeah. in the in the, the first round and the. Uh, third round they got exposed a little bit against nashville which is really interesting to watch from a tactical standpoint 
Well, you bring up you bring up the tactical standpoint. You bring up how much Vlasic was targeted and whether uh, the opposition was sort of it was something they noticed while watching film or, or while they were game planning for playing the Sharks, where they realized they might be better off going on the other end of the ice. And that is always one of the questions in terms of a practical perspective: how much you can utilize this because the game is moving so fast, and you wonder whether you can exploit it to your advantage in game. But I think I definitely sort of noticed whether whether word gets out or whether whether something else is the case like for a guy like Shea Weber for example he gets a lot of flack and and I'm partly responsible myself I I got on his case for his ability to move the puck and how you know valuable he actually was on that area of the game but where he really stood out to me watching the playoffs was it felt like I don't know if the other if this is the right way to say it but like I felt like the opposition was spooked by him in the sense that whether it was just sort of uh, the way he's dis- held, discussed or, or the way, uh, he's kind of propped up in hockey circles or, or whether it's justified because of his reach and because of how hard of a hitter he is. But whenever he was standing around the blue line and the other team was trying to come in, it definitely looked like they would kind of make a frantic play sooner than they'd ideally like to in a best case scenario. Like they'd either dump it in or they'd try to make some elaborate move at the blue line that would wind up getting snuffed out. And he, that was one area where, you know, credit where credit is due. He was legitimately really good at that. Yeah. That is one thing Shea Weber has been good in for as long as I can remember. Cause in the all three zones project, he was one of the better defensemen in the league at preventing carry-ins, whether it was by like teams just avoiding him, or or whether it's my team's just avoiding him or him making like a play at the blue line or playing aggressive there. But that's the interesting dynamic with like him and the uh with the pairing with him and Roman Yossi. Because on the flip side, Roman Yossi is uh I don't wanna say I don't wanna say terrible when it comes to defending the blue line, but he allows a lot of carry ins. Mm-hmm. Whereas Weber is like the complete opposite. And uh and uh when you like when it comes like to their play without the puck, but with the puck, Yossi is like obviously in another league compared to Weber. Right. But at the same time, at the same time, it's kind of part of the Preds system because like every single time I've tracked like any Preds game, Weber doesn't handle Weber doesn't handle the puck. Like he defers to Yossi almost every single time and just lets him carry the puck up the ice. And honestly, why wouldn't you? Because Yossi. Uh, might be the is well, I, might be the best skater on that team, and he's easily their best defenseman at uh, at rushing the puck up the ice and creating plays from the uh, from the defensive zone. So that so that that's been really interesting to watch because in the playoffs, Weber barely has any like events logged with the puck. Mm-hmm. It's all Yossi, yeah. which which is interesting. But that's the one thing Weber still did well. He he definitely defended the blue line well, but. It, he definitely defended the blue line well, and he definitely did a good job at at uh, preventing carry-ins. And it's interesting because it like it's interesting because like uh, in terms of like his impact on shots, like it was still negative. So something is definitely going on there. Yeah, yeah, no, something definitely is going on there. I feel like we're gonna get a lot more answers to that uh, this season in Montreal. The, 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 I understand that you know I don't necessarily like player comps either because they're generally lazy and you sort of pick one trait that reminds you of two guys and you all of a sudden link them for the rest of their careers. And yeah, at, at the at the risk of doing that, I think that 
someone I saw, I saw that had those similar traits in terms of defending his own blue line were Colton Pareko, especially with the reach where he was very aggressive and was able to really kind of just alter the game plan for the other team. But the scary thing about a guy like Pareko is this was his first year and he basically had that defensive component to a game, but he was also really, really good at moving the puck out. And I yeah. think that, that's, that's someone who moving forward, like, I'm not sure if people are fully on board yet, like, I feel like, you know, he, he looked really good in the world cup of hockey and he obviously made a deep playoff run and he was getting some Calder trophy buzz during the season because he was putting up a lot of points. But I feel like people still haven't fully grasped that this guy could legitimately be like one of the next great defensemen in the league, just based on everything he does well. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of Pareko and he was excellent in the first two rounds uh, basically, like almost, in almost every like single aspect, he did struggle in that shark series, though. Mm-hmm. But it was his he he's a rookie and he's going up against the sharks, so uh, it's, I don't I don't want to knock him too much for that. But at the same time, like he was really impressive to watch this year. Just did so many things he does well at such a young age, and uh, like as an offensive defenseman, like he's pretty like he's pretty top notch. Like he has that shot. And he can move the puck up the ice really well. And he can also make pretty good passes in the offensive zone. So he, so he definitely has, he's definitely off to a great start, like in his career. Yeah. And I, and, I do wonder, you mentioned that he struggled a bit in that shark series and, you know, it seems, it seems a little convenient, but it also is quite possible that he was just, you mentioned he's a rookie and he's probably just fatigued, right? Like he was entering what is like 90th game of the year heading into that series. Whereas I'm sure in the yeah. past playing in college, it's like a, 35 40 game season right so it is kind of right. a wear and tear thing and i'm sure that next year he'll be more acclimated and more suited to help hold up in the long run yeah i've seen people kind of ding him because of like quality competition and like who he faces but like i broke down like who who was entering the zone against him mm-hmm. uh in each in each series and yeah he may have not been out against taves and uh and uh, Jamie Ben ever shift, but he was still going up against some pretty good players because if he wasn't going up against uh, if he wasn't going up against Taves, he was going up against uh, Panarin or Hosa with how uh, Quinville was spraying out his lines. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't going up against uh, Ben, he was going up against uh, he was going up against uh, Hemsky or uh, Spezza right. in against Dallas. So those are still pretty good players. So I don't want I don't like holding quality of competition against him because yeah matchups matter especially in the playoffs but at the same time it's like it's not like he's facing fourth liners every single shift and especially on the road because on the road you're not going to get the matchups all the time so he was going to be so he was out there against first liners a bit and he still did pretty well against him in the first two rounds yeah so i'm uh uh, i'll buy all the all the stocks for the the colton preco experience i feel like he's going to be really really good Right. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I personally, I'm personally a pretty big fan of him. Yeah. And I'm interested to see where he goes on the depth chart because the blues right side is kind of stacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that could be something that where they exploit that and make a trade or something like that and then, and then prop him up and give him more ice time because he's, I feel like he's going to be capable of handling that. Uh, Corey, uh, this is the part of the show where I let you plug some stuff. I know you, you've got, uh, you've got your new website, you're tracking all sorts of stuff as you alluded to earlier. So kind of just, uh, let the listeners know everything you're doing and how they can help support you. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a lot since I have a lot on my plate for the upcoming year, but, um, I'm going to be tracking basically, Every game I can for the upcoming season, I'm going to be doing zone entries and zone entries, zone exits, zone entry defense, 
uh, shot contribution and uh, passing, which is going to be using Ryan's methods. So we're going to be teamed up a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also like taking other people's input on what I should and shouldn't be tracking. Like someone, someone suggested that I should start tracking like whether the goaltender was screened or not on shots. And uh, it'll be easy for me to include since I'm doing everything else. So I might, uh, well, I'm probably going to be adding that too. Mm-hmm. So we can see like how much a goaltender save percentage is affected on shots with that he can't see. Yeah. Because that's something you hear people talk about a lot, but how much impact does it really have? Right. So, yeah. So I'm going to be doing all that. It's all going to be on my blog on theenergyline.wordpress.com. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's eventually going to be a .com sooner rather than later. Yes. And uh, if if you go there, uh, you can go you can go this uh, tab. You can click on this tab called a uh, playoff data, and you can download everything I tracked from the playoffs and play with it as much as you want. Because all the raw data is there, it's all broken into tables for you. If you want to use it in like a blog post or something, and I'm going to be doing this all season, have it updated like every Sunday or every couple of days, depending on how quick it takes me to, or how long it takes me to track all the games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more cool stuff like throughout the season. Like I have depth charts posted now. I'm eventually going to make those a little more interactive and have like game logs there and basically everything you can imagine. And uh, if you want to help me, if you want to help me with this, uh, you can contact me at csnyder at outlook.com or you can go to my uh, Patreon page which is on my Twitter account and on my website and uh, uh, donate a pledge to that because this, as you can imagine, this takes a lot of time to do and I kind of had to go at it full time to make it happen. So if you want to help me with that, you can go there. And uh, I think that's it for now. Excellent. Well, I definitely recommend wholeheartedly that everyone checks out all your work and help support you if you can, because you're doing great work and helping the hockey community get better uh, one day at a time. So, Corey, uh, let's make sure to get you back on as the season goes along. We can talk about some of the new developments you've noticed in in your tracking and and go from there. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty excited about the upcoming year. Cool. All right, man. We'll chat soon. All right. Cool. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. <laughs> <laughs>